0: You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. If you want to have hope in a hopeless world, then you've got to have Jesus in your heart. And that's what today's message is all about hope for your heart. We've looked at at, throughout Scripture or, or throughout this past Christmas season, we've studied the the word which means good news. You guys remember what that word means? It's it's uh, it's a, it's the Greek word for good news. Anyone? Gospel, right? We've said, we've for for four weeks now. We've said, okay, the gospel message has to go out. Well, the, what's the gospel? The good news message has to go out to all of the world. And we're going to dive into God's Word today, and we're going to see, okay, what what is the the climax, the pinnacle of? the good news going to all the world. We first looked at it goes to your home, it goes to your town, and it also goes to your world. But if you want to take it to your home, like the McLaughlins want to do, if you want to take it to your town, like we at Life Church want to do, if you want to take it to your world, like we're doing with our missions work, you first have to have the hope of the gospel in your own heart. This is where it all starts right here. So today we're going to look at how, the, how is this hope supposed to come and meet you? How are you supposed to receive this hope? Because this is where it starts, and this is God's ultimate desire for you, is to find the hope in Jesus Christ first personally. If you can't do it personally, you're never going to be able to reach you're never going to re- be able to reach your home your town or your world so starts with your own heart and that's what we're diving into today so would you pray and then we're going to open up god's word heavenly father thank you for uh, just what you're doing here at life church and lord we ask that in the mighty name of jesus you would reveal to us new things about uh, this this hope that we've heard about so often lord i know we've come through the christmas season year and year and year after year and lord i just pray this season lord we we really get a grasp on the supernatural power of the hope of the gospel in our own hearts. So reveal to us today what you will and, and help us to uh, have ears to hear what you're speaking to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the world knows, they, they see the effects, even if they don't know God or they don't know the Scriptures, they can see the effects of how this world works and what Scripture's already been pointing to. In the Harvard Medical Review, this was, uh, this was a few years ago, it was written about this idea of what does hope do for a human being? And it, they said this, hope can be particularly powerful protector, a particularly powerful protector against the dread of a chronic or life-threatening illness. And I want to say, no doy, right? No doy. Do you know why? Because Scripture has been saying this for generations. This is not new. It's almost like they said, hey, we found out that this hope, this idea of hope can actually be good for you physically, yeah? Proverbs says this, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. If you don't have hope in this world, you're going to be sick. And it's actually not just going to be a spiritual sickness. It's going, to be a phys- it's going to bleed over into your physical being as well. Hope is so important. Where do you get hope? Where do you find hope is the question that I want to ask you today. Now, I've seen this play out in our family personally. When Susan and I got married, we went through a season of where we battled hopelessness because we struggled with infertility. We couldn't get pregnant. Now, as a guy, it doesn't hit me quite the way that it hits a woman. Susan had dreamt about being married and having a family someday and giving birth to children someday. I, growing up, dreamt about playing quarterback for the Fighting Irish under (laughs) Lou Holtz and having a dog someday and being good at my golf game, right? (laughs) Okay, so it doesn't hit guys quite the same way. But, but when, we, when we got the news, when we got the news, it was, it was this shot to the heart where it was like, man, you're probably not going to be able to have kids, guys. But right about the same time we were getting that news, there was a, there was a prophetic word that came to us from Michigan. My parents were in this, this prayer meeting, and there was a bunch of people up there. And there was a guy who we don't particularly know super well. But the Lord spoke to him that night and he told my parents this. He said, Hey, I've got a word for Micah and Susan. And I don't know what they're going through right now, but the Lord showed me a picture of a pair of blue booties, little boots, and a pair of pink pink booties, little boots. And and then he just said, Micah and Susan need this right now. And so my mom called and she you know, she she knew what we were going through, and she said, Hey, this is the word that came to you guys tonight from this prayer service. And it was like someone just shined a light through the darkness in our hearts in that moment. That was the beginning of our journey. And then a year passed. And then that light started to seem, it seemingly started to get a little bit darker and dimmer. We're like, well, we think that God was you know, saying that. We hope that God was saying that. But man, maybe he wasn't. You know, doubt begins to set in. And then as that hope seemingly starts to fade away, something, another pinprick of light bursts through, and it brings hope. And so this time, it was Susan. Now, Susan grew up in the Baptist background. And if you know the Baptists, they love the Word of God, but they're not really about that charismatic stuff, okay? So they're kind of like, you know, hey, uh, you Pentecostals? Yeah, we love you. You'll be in heaven someday, but keep it over there, weirdo, okay? You know? So... And uh, so they didn't do the, they didn't do, you know, I love Baptists, please. I grew up going to a Baptist school and they love the Word. I, I, have, I know Scripture because of my Baptist uh, school upbringing and we had to memorize God's Word and they revere the Word, but when it comes to the prophecy and it comes to that, that spirit-filled kind of things, they don't usually walk in that uh, or, or, or step into that very, very deep. So Susan grew up in that, so she doesn't have this charismatic background, but she was in our living room. One one evening, and we have a hallway that goes down to our bedroom, and the Lord gave her a vision. The Lord gave this Baptist gal from Central Indiana a vision. Okay, so if you're Baptist, hey, you you can have it too. Okay, all right. It's for everybody. Uh, and <laughs> she's not in here. She's gonna, oh man, she's gonna smack me around. If it, okay, good. I think she's coming to next service. Next service would be super tame. Okay, so all right. Uh, and she gave the Lord gave her a vision. She saw, this was about a year after we got that, that prophetic word of the, the booties, and, uh, and she saw this little boy with blonde hair running down our hallway. And she said, she said to me, she said, I, I saw it as clear as day, Micah. And it was right at a time where we were feeling like the hopelessness was setting in, and a word from the Lord came, and then a vision came and she didn't see his face, but it was a little, you know, four or five-year-old little boy just sprinting down our hallway. And then a couple of years go by and we still didn't have kids. And then we get another word from somebody and this time it was in Tennessee, a, a, a girl that we used to lead worship with when, in my worship leading ministry. She said, hey, we, I hadn't seen her for years. And she sent a message to Susan and I. She said, hey, I don't know what you guys are going through, but the Lord told me that he's given you kids. The kids are on the way. And it was, again, right when it was dark, Right when we, we seemingly were, were seeing hope just kind of snuffed away, and, and, and it was physically, when, when we would get those words, it was like we were getting a physical shot in the arm. It was a rejuvenating shot. Where we were like, man, praise the Lord. Okay, He still sees us. Yes, he's still there. And it was the desires fulfilled that became a tree of life. And praise the Lord, five years later, we saw the beginning of that tree of life being fulfilled in Now, if you know Brody, it's, it's literally. I know why the Lord gave Susan the vision of him running down the hallway because that's all he does is runs. And and so and a little blonde boy, right? And boy, we lost him in Meijer once, and I went up to the counter. I said, "Hey, you need to lock this place down because if he gets out, he's gone. We never find him again." <laughs> so you shut down these doors. They did. It was like we got a code four twenty five. Uh, shut down the shut down the store. I was like, he's fast, okay? So he ain't coming when you call. He's running in the opposite direction. And then, and then two years later, we have little Savannah. Again, the doctors basically said we had, we had a very small chance, most likely not any at all for Brody. And then when it came to Savannah, they were like, you got no chance with another one. You got one. But we, even in that moment, we said, no, no, no. we believe that God, God gave us a picture of blue and pink booties. We're going to stand on that and praise the Lord. We got, we got little Savannah. And it's, isn't, that God, isn't that cool? <laughs> you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We felt that. We would feel times where we were getting sick, physically sick, because of what we were walking through. And the Lord would say, your desire's coming. Hold on. Your desire's coming. It's just around the corner. Just hold on. I got you. I got you. I don't know what you're walking through today. I don't know where, where your testimony is. We heard from Blaine. You know, a year ago, Blaine was living in a dark, dark place because of the accident that he had. But he never lost the hope in Christ. And you see Blaine, you saw him two days after he woke up. And he had a smile on his face. He said, I don't know what God's doing, but I know God's going to get the glory for this. And Blaine has had the tree of life bursting out of him this whole time. Why? Because he knows the God who gives us hope. You're walking through something, you may be walking through illness, through sickness, through something right now, but there is a God who has stepped off of his throne in glory and came to you in the darkness of this world so that you can have hope that the desire of the tree of life would be fulfilled in you today. And it's easy to look at the world just like Susan and I would, would the, the, the light would get a little dim. It's easy to start looking out at the waves of the world and how wicked this world has become and how dark it's becoming. And you begin to think, is God really there? Does he really see me? Is there really hope? But you know what? Jesus said, hey, when this starts to happen, you should actually see hope increase in your heart because you know that the chaos is coming to an end shortly. Matthew 24, Jesus is telling his disciples, and he said to them, see it that no one can misle- that mislead you. Because many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not the end yet. So that sounds like today, right? Wars and rumors of wars. We hear that all over the place. There's wars in the Middle East. There's wars in Ukraine. There's talk of China invading Taiwan. Rumors of wars. You know, who knows what's going to happen? But all of this, when we hear this, the thing that should come into our heart is hope, because... These things must take place in order for the end to come. And when what, what happens at the end? Well, at the end is where the great, the great victory we will walk into and see once and for all. For nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and, and earthquakes but all these things are merely the beginning of birthing pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. The world will essentially turn on Christians, those who call Jesus the the son of God. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. We will see this played out in 2020, 2021. We saw Christians turning on Christians. We saw people saying, oh, you know what? You're you're the devil, and I'm going to rat you out to, to, uh, to your boss because you're not doing what the government's telling us to do. You're not, you're not putting a mask on. You're not taking a vaccine or all this stuff. This was happening in the church. This was Christians turning on one another. Exactly what Jesus said was going to happen in the last days. Many will fall away and betray one another, and they will hate one another. Many false prophets will come as well, and they will rise and they will mislead many because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. I feel that. I was thinking about this the other day. I didn't even know I was going to use this passage of scripture, but I was driving through town. I was just like, there was just like, I think I just left Kroger or something like that. Everyone was like, you know, just, yeah, there was a long line and people just were like, the love of many was really growing cold. Okay. I'm going to tell you that right now. Myself might've been included in that is, you know, it's like, Hey, Pastor Micah. And the Lord's like, hey, you know, don't fall in, you know, the love of many will grow cold. But, but in all seriousness, the love of, the people will not love the way that they once did. And I think we can see that. There's a hatred out there. There's just a, there's a, just not, a, there's no patience for anyone anymore. And, but again, when you see these things, take heart because the end is near. And in verse 13, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel, gospel means what now? This good news of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Praise the Lord that day. Now, <laughs> this is funny. This, I don't even, this is a tangent. This is in my mind. Okay, so then the end will come. When I was, before I was married, okay, um, so I, I was a virgin all the way up to marriage. Praise the Lord. And, and uh, I would read this passage. I remember reading this passage. I was like, Lord, this is great, but let me just have my honeymoon night, please. So, <laughs> it's funny, I know, that's, that's funny, come on, all right. <laughs> but now I'm like, I'm good to go, let's go, Lord, come on. <laughs> come on back, come on back any day now, it's like the price is right. in Jesus, come on down, you're the next contestant, come on, let's go, let's go. Uh, so, that, <laughs> that's funny. I did not say that for a service, that is just my mind, right? I don't even know where that thought came from. <laughs> Good night, Micah. What are you doing? Okay, jeez. I did, that's, that's just okay. All right. Well, living in darkness can create hopelessness. <laughs> and laughter does good like a medicine, is what scripture says, too, right? All right, it's good to laugh. It's good to laugh. Darkness is, creates hopelessness, and we're living in a dark world where it's no, no surprise that we see hopelessness abounding everywhere. In the 1950s, even. The, uh, the secular scientists were studying this effect of hope and hopelessness. What does hope do and what does hopelessness do? And John Hopkins, there was, a prof- there was a professor there named Kurt Richter. He did a study in the 1950s with a, with a bunch of rats. And these rats, um, he, would, uh, he, would, he wanted to test what hope does to a being when, when the life is on the line. And so he took these rats and he, found, he, put, them in, he put them in a, a tub of water. And he wanted to see how long it would take for them to drown. Okay, again, it's kind of cruel, all right, but it's 1950, so it's all good, all right, so you're, you're fine. <laughs> PETA didn't exist back then, all right, so, uh, but 1950, so he, he puts them in the, he finds that only a couple minutes, when they realize they're not getting out, they actually would dive down to the bottom and they would look for a way out and they would just stay down there and they would die. They would die. So he does this again with more rats, and this time before they, they drown, he pulls them out. He dries them off, he gives them cheese, and he lets them them live. And then, the next day, he puts them back into the water. And he wants to see what this idea of hope, that now they they got out once. They swam for eight hours. Eight hours. The rats before, who had no hope, died in in just two minutes, two and a half minutes. Eight hours. Now, I think they eventually drowned, which is kind of a morbid story, right? But uh, it's like... There is no hope. Really, this time, there is no hope, all right? All right. <laughs> but I, I tell you this because I, I say all of that to say hope, hope like makes the heart move on. It makes the heart go to that tree of life. When you have hope, you will have life. Darkness is the same way. They did a similar study uh, about the same time where they put rats in darkness for six weeks. And they noticed that when they pulled the rats out of darkness... They, 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 uh, they had all of these behaviors that, that were hopeless-like in their behaviors, is what the study showed. It was like these hopeless-type behaviors. They just, these rats just didn't have any hope. Living in darkness does that. It creates hopelessness, and it just leads us to death. G- God wanted the opposite for us. He never wanted us to be hopeless. Therefore, he sent his own son, Jesus, to dive into that mess of darkness. Now, this was an epic moment. In history. This is not the cute baby Jesus story. I don't want us to get lost in this idea that, oh, it was baby Jesus, and he was cute, and he just, you know, was just, a, it's just a sweet, sweet story. No, it's not a sweet, sweet story. This was a war story. This was the king of the universe saying, I love these people enough to step onto the battlefield of earth to go after them. There is no other religion where the God that we worship came to us when we didn't want him or, or know we even needed him, he found us. All other religions of the earth make us go and find that God. We heard last week from Pastor Nathan, the Japanese gods that they worship, there's millions of these gods, you have to tell the gods your name because they don't even know who you are. And then you have to petition them for your request, and maybe one of them might find favor with you and then grant your request. That is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not the one true God. The one true God came and find, found us. That is the epic story of Christmas, baby Jesus stepping into earth. He was not a baby. He had, been, he had been since the beginning of time and even before then. He was the Word of God made flesh. Jesus himself was the Word of God. That's what John 1 says. So we have to look at this from a little bit more from a war standpoint. And how valuable must your soul be if both God and the devil are fighting this hard for it? Think about that for a second. How valuable must your soul be? This is how valuable it was to God. He himself gave up his his comfort. And he he came in that, the the manger, which then ultimately led to that piece of wood, the cross. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was dripping, sweating drops of blood because of how burdensome this burden was that he was getting ready to carry for you and for me. And he says, Father, if there's any way that this cup can be taken from me, I please let that happen. But he said, not my will, but your will be done. The king of the universe was on the battle of war, was on the field of the, bat- the battlefield of war for you and for me. That's what Christmas is all about. Isaiah 9 talks about this a little bit. In in verse 1, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea. On the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, saying Jesus is going to come from that region, from the region of Galilee, from Capernaum, from Nazareth. We're going to see him come, and he's going to bring a glorious victory By the way of that sea. The people who walk in darkness, you and I and everyone who's come before us, will see a great light. Those who live in dark in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness, they will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. This is what all creation was yearning for. This was Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus came. This was being spoken. There's going to be a light that comes. Get ready. Hold on. And that's what gave so many people hope. That's what gives us hope today, that we've received the light, and now we have the hope. And our hope, too, is the, is the second coming, right? We know that it's all going to be made right. The, Jesus is coming again. We're going to see him sitting on his throne in the new heaven and new earth and the new Jerusalem, reigning as king of kings. Un, his reign will be unquestioned by everyone Boy, what a glorious day that will be. And here we have that hope that begins to take hold in our heart. John 1, I mentioned earlier, John 1, 1 says, that Jesus is the word of God with flesh on. God spoke out his word, put flesh on it, sent it to earth, and he was the warrior that set us free. But verse four says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. Sometimes it's easy to to think, man, how how can these people just be so dumb, right? Like, how can they be so dumb? This is so simple, and it's so right there. How do you miss it? But yet, when someone's been in darkness, it takes, you know, how how long it takes for your eyes to adjust to the light when you come out of a dark room? It's the same thing. People are living in darkness. They get comfortable. They get used to it. They don't want to come into the light. It's offensive. It hurts. It's, It's like, ah, darkness doesn't comprehend the light, and darkness really, truly, from a scientific perspective, is just the absence of light, right? Darkness is the absence of light. So when the light comes in, darkness did not comprehend it. Pastor Nathan was meeting with a, uh, an imam a couple uh, weeks ago in Fishers. Fishers has the largest mosque in, in Indiana. And he was meeting with this imam, and this guy knew his scripture better than most pastors know scripture. And so he was he was but he was using he was undermining he'd say well scripture says this and and it, it seemingly contradicts itself here and says this and so Nathan really had to be on his game i mean it was and, but that's you know that's Nathan's jam like come on like try to try to knock me down let's see what happens right i got the word i know the word too let's go like how did satan try to how did satan try to uh, tempt jesus with the word right satan knows the word really well too so but this guy this imam his biggest hang up what pastor Nathan was saying his biggest hang up was that God, there's no way the God of the universe could be contained in one man. There's no way. I cannot comprehend that, is what he was saying to Pastor Nathan. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. Cannot comprehend how God could become man. And I always say, do you think that's too big of a task for an awesome God? I think God can do whatever God wants to do. He speaks out his word, puts flesh on it. And that becomes, that becomes the light that steps into the darkness and rescues us. Verse six, for Isaiah nine six is this: For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Hope for your heart is only made possible by the conquering warrior king who stepped onto the battlefield to rescue. You and I from the hordes of hell, these demonic cesspools of filth who wanted your soul. The only way we have victory is because there is a God who made war against the evil to rescue you. He's a warrior. Exodus 15.3 says it very clearly. The Lord is a warrior. He makes war. The Lord is his name. Some translations say Yahweh is his name. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God. It was so holy, they feared God so much that they wouldn't even put vowels in it because they didn't want to speak his whole name. We don't even really know what the, what the actual full name would have been. But I heard the other day, this is super cool. I heard the other day that when you actually stop and just think Yahweh from a say it softly, it sounds like a breath. So breathe in Literally, our breath is declaring the name of the Lord. Even people who worship Satan, every time they breathe, are declaring Yahweh's name. Isn't that awesome? God, he has put his name in all of us. Why His his name has been on our lips since the time we took our first breath to the time we take our last breath. His name is on our lips. Why? Because he wants you to know who he is. He wants to rescue you from your hopelessness. But you have to know Yahweh. How do you know Yahweh? We know him because he became flesh and the light dwelt among us. We know him because Jesus is God with flesh on. The darkness doesn't comprehend it. The question is, do you comprehend it this morning? John 1, 3, 8 says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, but the devil, has been sinning from the, the devil has been sinning from the beginning of time. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That sounds like a, that sounds like a war right there. That sounds, like a, that sounds like a battle plan. I'm coming to earth as a little baby on that first Christmas to make war to destroy the works of the enemy. And you may think this was God's plan B. It wasn't God's plan B. God knew this was going to happen from the time he made heaven and earth. He knew that this was going to be the case. And actually, there's a prophetic word given all the way back in the Garden of Eden, what God was getting ready to do. Why? Because he wanted to give hope, even to Adam and Eve. He wanted to give them hope. Why? Because when you have hope, you actually move towards the tree of life. And so he loved Adam and Eve. He said, hey, you messed up. You done messed up, A.A. Ron. All right. you You guys know that? Again, tangent, tangent, I'm sorry, that's just, <laughs> that was a really funny skit though, okay, I have to, if you don't know that skit, you got to go see that, all right, you done messed up there, Adam and Eve, right, but, but, there's hope, there's hope, and I'm going to tell you what the hope is, and it's called the Proto-Evangelium, it was the very first prophetic word spoken in the, after earth was created, and it was, it was a look at what Jesus was going to do to the devil's work, Right? says this, the Proto-Evangelium was the first prophetic word about Jesus, the warrior king, coming to do battle. We see in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned and taken from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because the serpent tempted them to do so, the Lord comes and he points to the serpent and he says this in Genesis three fourteen. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because thou hast done this... You are cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Many people believe that the serpent was actually a very beautiful creature before the fall. It had wings, it could fly, it was a a magnificent, it was one of the most beautiful of all creatures. And because the the serpent did this, the Lord cursed the serpent and said, you're going to go and you're going to eat dust all the days of your life. And then he says this to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between your seed, devil, so all the crap that you create, devil, and her seed. He, the seed of the woman, shall break thine head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And when he, there's a powerful scene in, in the Passion of the Christ when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane getting ready to go to the cross and he's bleeding drops of blood, or he's sweating drops of blood because of the burden that he's about ready to carry because he loves you and he loves me. You see, the devil kind of comes out from beyond the tree. You know, he's got his cloak on, just looks super wicked. And, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden, out of the bottom of his cloak, the snake slithers out, and goes right up to Jesus' foot. And Jesus, is, he's, he's praying with such intensity. And then when the moment comes where he's getting ready to get up and being handed over to To the Romans to go on to the cross he slams on the head of the of the snake with his foot and it was the picture of the proto-evangelium playing out right there in the garden of Gethsemane and we see this beautiful picture from it's an Italian art piece from hundreds of years ago this is uh this is the proto-evangelium in art you have Eve who has sinned she's taken of the apple Adam and Eve have fallen and you got the serpent slithered around her leg but then you look at Mary, and, You know Eve a, has a look of sadness and hopelessness almost on her face. But then you see Mary, and Mary, while she, she you know, there's this, there's this very wise look on her face, but there's a hope-filled look on her face. And she's just holding Eve. She's pregnant with the light. And you see that her foot is stomping on the head of the serpent. This was, this was told us all the way back. In the Garden of Eden, there's going to be a battle for your soul. Why? Because God loves you that much. God loves you that much. We sing Christmas songs all the time at Christmas season. and We sing, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple great, great songs, but there's, some of them are really rich in theology. And there's one song in particularly that we sing. It's called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But there's a verse in that. That is, a, it's, a, it's almost a war verse. It's almost a verse that, that talks about the proto-evangelium, this, the God is going to make war with the devil be, and rescue you and I on that very first Christmas. And it says this in verse 4 of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Charles Wesley wrote this in 1739. It says, Come, desire of nations, come fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. This is that, that battle that we see right given to us from the very very moment the the proto-evangelium was spoken, the prophetic word of Jesus to come, the conquering hero, the warrior king, even Charles Wesley was writing about this. Now display thy saving power, ruin nature, now restore, now in mystic union join, thine to ours and ours to thine. It's a mystery. What God would do this? What God would step down? Off of his throne for you and for me. That's why the angels sang, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. Hark the herald, angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. You know, we are getting ready this week, is all the preparations for Christmas. We're talking about what's been done and in our Christmas miracle gift, we've seen, uh, we've seen great, great success in the Christmas miracle gift, by the way. We took up that offering last week. We're already, we're already at $75,000 in one week um, to, to send to the uttermost parts of the world. You can still give, by the way. If you, didn't, if you didn't give to that, there's still a way to give. You can give online. But it's all to declare what the angels were singing that night. There's hope, everybody. So we're going to Cambodia, to this children's home so that we can declare hope to those who seemingly are in a hopeless state. We're giving to the Agape Wellness Clinic here in in central Indiana so that we can declare there's hope for those who are in a hopeless state. We're giving to people in our church, the Benevolence Fund, helping people who are walking through hardships right now, health issues, financial issues, so we can declare, hey, there's hope. You thought you were hopeless. No, there's hope. Jesus is the hope, and look what he's doing. That's what... This whole Christmas season should be about in your home, should be about in your town, should be about in the world, but most importantly, it needs to be that way in your heart. Have you received the gift of hope? John 16, says this, I've told you all of this. What's all of this? The whole gospel message, the whole good news of hope. I told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Are you struggling? Do you want peace? Know this. This is what Jesus is saying, hey, I've come and made it right. This was right before he's getting ready to go and and ascend into heaven and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's saying, guys, you've seen everything now. Why? So that in me you can have peace. And here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. We talked about Andrew the Apostle when we were doing Hudson Andrew's dedication. He was crucified in an X shape. Not fun. Not easy. Not easy. The apostle Peter was crucified upside down. And, you know, the Fox's Book of Martyrs records that not only was Peter crucified, they crucified his wife in front of him first. And they turned her upside down. And as she was dying, Peter got down on his hands and knees and began singing songs about Jesus into her ear. Think about that for a second. What did these guys have? They had hope that after the chaos, there was going to come great reward and great joy. You can't have that kind of hope outside of a supernatural encounter with God. Amen. That's what Life Church is all about. We want you to have that supernatural encounter with your loving creator. And if you've never had that before, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that today so that this Christmas season can be the first Christmas season that you really, truly have hope and hope for all of eternity. I'm going to invite the prayer team down. I'm going to invite the worship band back up. And as they're coming, and getting ready, I... I remember a story. I remember a story told to me about a man looking for hope. And his mother, who was ill, a few weeks before she died, she found great hope and she had a a new spark to life. And this man went to her on her deathbed and said, Mom, what have you found? I've been hopeless my whole life I know you were struggling with hopelessness and now all of a sudden you have, you have joy in your life and you have peace. Where did it come from? In her last words that she spoke to him, she said, son, all of life's hope can be found in a C major scale. And he's like, what? And then she passes away. And he's like, what, Mom? What was she talking about? So this man goes and he takes up the piano and he starts learning scales. He starts learning how to play. And for years, he never forgot what his mom's last words were to him. He said, he said, I remember my mom always saying to me that hope could be found in the C major scale. I don't know what she was talking about, but I learned piano. And he would play the C major scale over and over again. He would play it up and down. And he got, he got better at it. He got, he got real good. He would... He would just go up and down the scale. And he could never understand what his mom was talking about. And he just kept falling more and more into the pit of despair and hopelessness. And years later, he sits down on his piano just about ready to give up, and he says, God, if you are real, what was my mom talking about? And he begins to pluck out the major scale again. And he's like, I'm hopeless. I have no no purpose in life. Lord, where are you? And as he plays that major scale, he plays it again. And he stops and he says, wait a second. I've heard this before. And I've heard it around Christmas time. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. He said, That's what mom was saying. Hope is found all in the joy that we have because Jesus came from heaven to earth to set us free. If you don't want to go through life hopeless, if you don't want to go through life in despair, you've got to come and know Jesus and you will have great peace. I've told you these things so that in me you can have peace. That's what the Christmas season is all about. It was a, the first cry of baby Jesus when he opened his mouth that night was an epic battle cry that shook the heavens and the earth because God had stepped onto the field of battle for you and for me. If you you were encouraged by today's talk be sure to rate us, share with a friend and hit subscribe on Spotify iTunes or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life connect to grow, find your purpose make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.